welcome to Living Hope Church. Since the kids do awesome. Uh, if you have children that are going down to uh, class that uh, are preschool or children's church, they can dismiss right now out uh, the back. Uh, but again, thank you for being uh, with us this morning and supporting the kids uh, along those lines. Thank you to those of you that volunteer every Wednesday night to teach the kids. And uh, especially thank you to Chandra and Melinda and Emily who have been preparing the kids for today uh, for months now. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, in regards to today's sermon, we, as Melody said earlier, we find ourselves in the midst of our Christmas Advent series. And in this series, we've been looking at a prophecy that she read that God gave some 700 years ago in Isaiah before Jesus uh, was born. And in this prophecy, God gave four names that Jesus would be called or four descriptions of who Jesus would be. Specifically, we're looking at Isaiah 9, 7, which reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And thus far, we have seen how Jesus uh, is and fulfills the role of our Wonderful Counselor, our Mighty God, and our Everlasting Father. If you missed those and you'd like to hear those, they're available on our website or uh, on YouTube by searching Living Hope Green River. But with those names covered, today we come and turn our attention to the name Prince of Peace. And how does Jesus fulfill that role as Prince of Peace? Uh, we live in a world that is in search of peace, right? We desire world peace. We desire peace in our relationships. We desire peace in our families, peace in our homes, peace in our finances, peace in our hearts, peace in our jobs. We live in a world of chaos, and yet we desire peace. And today we're going to see how Jesus came to fulfill this role and to grant us peace, peace to any that would follow him in the midst of this world. And so today we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1. This is the, the famous uh, Charlie Brown, uh, Linus reading of the Christmas story. But we're going to read that and we're going to see how Jesus came to bring peace on that night. Luke writes, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be uh, the Prince of Peace. And we thank you that in Jesus, we can experience peace uh, in the midst of this world and in the midst of our lives, which often feel more like chaos. Uh, and God, I just pray that you would, um, if we do not know you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, that you would reveal our need and that we might experience the peace and salvation 
is available when we trust Jesus for the first time. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, God, I pray that you would help us to turn over our chaos and our fears and our uncertainty and our struggles to you. And that we, like Paul, might experience your peace in the midst of trial. God, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace and that you are greater than the uncertainty and fears of this world. God, we love you and we praise you and it's your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and the angels declare that he brings peace on earth to those whom his favor rest. But Jesus doesn't bring peace quite like we expect and he certainly doesn't bring peace the way we would expect. The story of Jesus' birth is incredible for so many reasons. It's incredible that God would humble himself and come to earth as a baby, that he would come to earth and live amongst us, and that he would then go to the cross on our behalf. That's incredible, and and we're going to cover that theme in our Christmas Eve message as we look at Emmanuel, God with us. But beyond that, the whole of the circumstances involving Jesus' birth is simply incredible. Now, when we think of Jesus' birth, we view it through the lens of Christmas carols, through paintings, through nativity sets, perhaps a Christmas play. We view it through the lens of a crackling fireplace with our feet up and a mug of peppermint cocoa, right? We have this beautiful, glamorized, Americanized, 21st century view of the night that Jesus was born. When we think of the Christmas story, we think of a cool December night. We think of a perfectly manicured stable, soft and fuzzy animals, a gentle, loving angel. We think of well-groomed shepherds and a perfectly recovered Mary just moments after her delivery, right? We have this peaceful, beautiful, romanticized version of the nativity story in our heads. We assume that the Prince of Peace arrives to bring peace uh, on a night in this scene of beauty and tranquility. We assume that peace arrives to the earth in a time of peace. But when we press pause on that Renaissance painting in our head, we see that Jesus arrived as the Prince of Peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of disorder, in the midst of uncertainty and fear. The Prince of Peace doesn't arrive to a world of peace, but he brings peace to a world in chaos. So let's look at the real story. Think about this environment that Jesus was born into. The nation that he is born into is occupied by the Roman Empire. A Roman Empire who promised the peace of Rome. But the peace of Rome meant peace for Rome and not those they were occupying. The Jews were ruled locally by King Herod who ran an oppressive occupying regime. So much so that when he hears that a king might have been born in Bethlehem, he just declares that every baby under the age of two should be killed. Can you imagine the tragedy, the the sadness, the wails and the cries and the heartache that would bring? I can't even wrap my mind around the sadness of this scene, the hurt and the pain that so many moms and dads would have felt during that time. And yet in the midst of that, the Prince of Peace arrives. And in the midst of that chaos and hurt, hope arrives to the world. Hope arrives, peace arrives to the brokenhearted and the hurting. Then think about the family that Jesus is born into. Mary and Joseph aren't experiencing peace when Jesus comes. Think about their lives and the chaos and uncertainty and fear that the arrival of this baby brought to their world. First of all, the story begins with an unplanned pregnancy in which an angel appears to Mary and tells her she's going to have the Messiah, the Son of God, and he's going to give her the baby. I know this was 2,000 years ago, but they understood where babies came from. 
So try in explaining to your friends and family that story. You can explain that story all you want. You can tell them about the angel, but you're going to get a wink and a uh-huh, mm-hmm. Right? We know the story. We know about the angel. But when we step back from the commonality of the story and we try to imagine the, the reality, the fear, and the uncertainty of Mary's life, we can get a sense of what she must have been feeling and going through when Jesus was born. Then her engaged husband, as expected, he plans to leave her when he hears about this pregnancy until an angel comes and tells him the news. Again, we think of angels as like precious moments dolls. But angels are ferocious warriors that shine like the sun, not peaceful. From there, a census is called, and at nine months pregnant, Mary travels the hundred miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And you might think to yourself, well, that's no big deal. I, I drive farther than that to Salt Lake all the time. Some of you may be even thinking, well, I can relate with that because I made the drive to Salt Lake or to Ogden the day you had your baby. But Mary doesn't get to make that journey in a heated car with heated seats. But instead, she makes it best-case scenario on the back of a donkey. Right? As a woman, as a husband, you know that was far from a peaceful experience. She wasn't treasuring that journey, and neither was Joseph. Then they arrive in Bethlehem, and they look for a place to lay down. They look for a room in the inn, and they're all full because of the census that is taking place. Another interesting theory is maybe the inns weren't full, but many scholars guess that, that Mary and Joseph were blacklisted from getting a room. Bethlehem was a small town. The whole extended family was gathering for the census, and everyone knew of this unplanned pregnancy. So many scholars think because of this shame, because of this pregnancy, they were blacklisted from a room by their own family. Right? That's starting to sound like a family reunion or a, a Christmas you may have been to or you may be going to this week. And because there is no room for them in the end, they head to a stable to have the baby with the stinky, far from cute animals. And they lay their baby for the first time, not in the safety and warmth of a labor and delivery room, but in the feeding trough of the animals. Again, that's not to mention the decree that is coming down from King Herod where their own child's life is going to be threatened. That's not mentioning the fact that Mary delivers without the epidural, without a nurse, without a midwife, or a doctor. And yet it's within this night of no peace that the Prince of Peace is born. And so that's our first point. Peace comes on a peaceless night. Peace comes and is available to us in the midst of the chaos, fear, and uncertainty of this world. Peace comes on a peaceless night. And I don't know about you, but I, I think I find some encouragement in that. Because again, I don't know about your life, but I think I often relate more with the fear, the uncertainty, and chaos of the real world that Mary and Joseph and the common people were facing than I do any beautiful, blissful painting. Life is full of challenges. It's full of uncertainty and fear. And yet it's in the midst of all of that that Jesus arrives as the Prince of Peace. And it's in the midst of all of that that Jesus steps into our lives and offers us peace as well. Google defines peace as freedom from disturbance, tranquility. Its second def definition is of peace as a state of period where no war is ongoing. When I read that definition and hear that peace is the absence of disturbance, the absence of trial, the absence of war or difficulty, that makes me feel a little bit hopeless. That seems like an unattainable state in our lives and in our world. 
Think about my home. I got three kids at my home, all under the age of eight. And the only peace and quiet as defined by Google is found for the few moments where they're all asleep at the same time. You think about our world. You turn on the news, there's no peace to be found. Right? We're told the economy is in turmoil, that employment is uncertain, that World War III could break out at any moment. We see that politics are a disaster and domestic and worldwide tragedies fill the airwaves. How could we possibly experience peace in the midst of that? So biblical peace has to be more than just the mere absence of trial. In Hebrew, this name, this name Prince of Peace, it comes from two words. It comes from the word sar and the word shalom. And the word sar means the one who is in charge. It's like where we get sergeant from. It means Lord. It means the leader. And so we're told that Jesus is the Lord. He is the leader. He is the king of shalom. And shalom is a word that might be familiar, with, familiar to you, but shalom was and is a greeting that one would exchange uh, with one another. And shalom means rest. It's this, it means tranquility. It means wholeness. It means completeness. Shalom means flourishing. It's so much more than just peace in the English dictionary. And so Jesus here, he is called by Isaiah as the Lord of rest, the Lord of tranquility, the Lord of wholeness, the Lord of completeness, the Lord of flourishing. And what that means is that as long as we are in a relationship and we are following Jesus, then we can experience his peace. We can experience his rest, his completeness, his flourishing, no matter what is going on in the rest of the world. Jesus is our source of peace, the Bible tells us, not the world. In fact, Jesus is our source of peace in the midst of a peaceless world. So Jesus comes, peace comes on a peaceless night, and Jesus is our hope, our ever-present source of peace in a peaceless world. Peace comes on a peaceless night, and that's our second point. Jesus is our source of peace in a peaceless world. And sometimes I feel like life, because it is difficult, because it is challenging, sometimes I feel like I must be doing something wrong. But when you read the Bible, God tells us that life is going to be challenging. Life is going to be hard. It is going to be difficult. It is going to be uncertain. But Jesus will be our source of peace within all of that. Just last week at small group Bible study, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul writes, in fact, all of those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Paul says life will be hard. Paul says the world will be crazy. But he says hold firm to the things you know and believe, and Jesus will be your source of peace in the midst of the chaos. So biblical peace has to be more than just the absence of the negative. Biblical peace is not dependent on our circumstances, but it is dependent on the unchanging and unwavering nature of God. And that is a good thing. John MacArthur described biblical peace like this. He said the biblical concept of peace does not focus on the absence of trouble. Biblical peace is unrelated to circumstances. It is a goodness of life that is not touched by what happens on the outside. He says you may be in the midst of great trials and still have biblical peace. So where does a person find that kind of peace? A peace that's not just the absence of trouble, the kind of peace that cannot be affected by trouble, by danger or sorrow. Well, it's somewhat ironic, but 
Perhaps the most definitive discourse on peace in all the Bible comes from Jesus on the night before he died on the cross. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was facing. Yet he took time to comfort his disciples with this message of peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So that's our third point, and that is that Jesus is our source of peace in a peaceless world, and that peace is found in Jesus. It is found in his character. It is found in the presence, in his presence. Jesus leaves us with himself. He leaves us with his peace, and because of that, we don't have to be troubled or afraid. He leaves us with himself. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he leaves the presence of God to walk through this life with us, to comfort us, and to give us peace. The Bible says if we are a follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, indwells us. It advises us. It leads us. And so there is peace to be found no matter what is going on in this world because the presence of God is with us in the midst of chaos. In my life, I have, I have limited construction experience. But my dad has been a journeyman plumber and contractor for 35 years. And when I grew up, I worked with my dad in high school and in college, but yet still my expertise is very, very, very limited. And so when I have to do a project, a construction project, a plumbing project, it fills me with anxiety and trepidation. Right? I don't want to mess it up. I certainly don't want to flood the house. I don't know what to do when things are uncertain or when they get chaotic. But when my dad is there with me doing the project, even when he's just on FaceTime with me, that anxiety goes away because of I am working with the expert. Because the one with the knowledge of the project is there with me. Peace comes in those moments in my dad's presence and knowledge. Right? Oftentimes he'll ask me to do things that are far beyond my knowledge, far beyond my comfort zone, way out of my expertise. But I can do them with peace, with confidence, because the one with more knowledge than me is there and has asked me to do it. And that's what the Bible says Jesus gives to us. He gives us himself. He is the mighty God. He is Lord over all of creation. He is our Savior. And so with the knowledge that he is with us, when we know he is with us, when he calls us to walk through trials and difficulty, we can do so because we have peace, because the one who is greater is with us. Because he is with us and because he is the Prince of Peace. His presence, who he is, comforts us. It grants us peace in the chaos of life. Let me share with you one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite examples of this kind of peace. This peace that is only available in Jesus. It's the story of a man named Horatio Spafford. And this man was a lawyer and also successful businessman in Chicago. He lived with his wife and his five kids, and they had what looked like the perfect American life. But his life and his family's life was far from, uh, they were no strangers to trial. They were no stranger to difficulty and setback. In 1871, Horatio's youngest son died after complications with pneumonia. Later that same year, he lost much of his business to the great Chicago fire. And through years of hard work and, and God's grace, Horatio saw his business restored and it once again flourished. In 1873, after they experienced the death of their youngest son, they'd experienced the fire to their business, all the work it took to recover, he decided that he and his family needed a vacation. 
And so they made arrangements to travel to Europe for a rest and reprieve from the busyness and the tragedy of life. Well, as the family prepared to depart, he had an unexpected business problem arise. And so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him. And he would catch, uh, he would catch the next ocean liner in a few days. Well, four days into that journey, the Ville de Haver, the, the ship that his wife and four daughters were on, on their journey to Europe, tragedy struck. It collided with the iron-hulled Scottish ship, the Loch Urn, And within 12 minutes, the Ville de Haver gave way to the dark, cold waters of the Atlantic. And on that day, 226 passengers died in the tragedy. It was the greatest nautical tragedy in terms of lost lives up until the sinking of the Titanic. As you can imagine, this became national news, and Horatio read of the tragedy on the headline of every newspaper he picked up that week. Can you imagine the heartache and the hopelessness? Right? He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a way to call his mom. He couldn't check Twitter constantly for updates. He read the headline that the ship his family on had sunk. Nine days later, Horatio received a telegram from his wife, Anna, and it read, Saved alone, what shall I do? Well, he immediately boarded the next ship out of New York Harbor, and he headed for Wales. With that ship, about four days out from New York, the captain called Horatio to his cabin and told him they were now over the place where his four daughters had succumbed to the Atlantic. And it was there in that moment, as he crossed over the place that his four daughters had lost their lives, it was throughout the rest of that journey that Horatio penned one of the greatest and most powerful hymns that we have. The lyrics read like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The chorus repeats, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. A peace that could lead a man to pin that in the midst of the, the greatest heartache and tragedy imaginable is only available in Jesus, the Sar Shalom. I don't know about you, I, I hear that story, and that feels a little bit unattainable to me. Maybe only the extra spiritual like Horatio Spafford can experience that kind of peace. So how can you and I experience peace like that? Well, from a prison cell awaiting a trial that could lead to his death, Paul in Philippians chapter 4 gives us the roadmap, the method for finding peace in the chaos and uncertainty of this life. Paul writes in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul, from a prison cell, awaiting a trial that could lead to his death, says, do not be anxious about anything. I think for most of us, we don't live lives where we are anxious about nothing, but at least I live a life too often where I'm anxious about everything. Paul says the solution to that kind of anxiety is Jesus. And he says the method to experiencing Jesus' peace is to rejoice, to celebrate who Jesus is, to remember who Jesus is, to keep a God-sized perspective of Jesus who has saved us, who has given us life, who has given us more than we ever deserve. And then as we rejoice in the character of Jesus, he says, give everything to God in prayer. 
When anxiety comes into your life, what is your first response? Is it to pray and give it to God, as Paul says? Or is it to try and solve the problem on your own? Maybe you're like me, and you're one of those that mulls it over for weeks. It's your first response to search Google for solutions or to talk it over with your bestie at the coffee shop. Right? None of those are necessarily bad in their own right, but Paul says our first response should be to give it to God. And when we do that, when we rejoice and we give it to Him, He promises a peace, a contentment, a completement in the midst, a completeness in the midst of the chaos that surpasses all understanding. So instead of trying to solve or cope on our own, Paul calls us to take our requests to God and we present them to Jesus and we say, I can't do this. I don't know the solution. It's no longer mine. I trust it to you. And because you are in charge, because you are the Sarah Shalom, I want to experience your peace. Jesus is present and offers peace in the chaos. But we must take it to him. We must first have a relationship with him. And we must give it to him through prayer. And through prayer, Paul promises we will experience the peace and comfort of the Sarah Shalom, the Lord of the universe. So throughout this, we've talked about peace, and we've talked about this peace that is available in Jesus. But this peace, this, uh, this peace in Jesus is, is dependent on one thing. And that thing is a personal, saving relationship with Jesus as our Lord. And so that's our last point. If we want to experience this Jesus' peace, we must know him. And so our final point is that Jesus is the peace that saves you. Jesus, sorrow shalom, is the peace that brings salvation. He is the peace that saves you, that forgives you of your sins, that makes you right with God. And it's only in that relationship that we can experience his peace in this world. Paul in Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice in that passage, it says we have been justified through through faith. Paul doesn't say we've been justified by our good deeds. He doesn't say we've been justified by our charitable giving. He doesn't say we've been justified by our incredible work ethic or anything else. He says we are justified. We are saved. We are forgiven by God through our faith in Jesus alone. And when we are saved through him, we experience faith with God that is only available in the Prince of Peace, the Star of Shalom. It's this reality that Jesus offers salvation that makes Christmas special. It's what makes it something to be celebrated. Babies are born every day across the world. But we celebrate the birth of Jesus some 2,000 years later because he came not just as another baby, but he came to die on the cross for your sins and mine. He came to save Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We have all done things that go against God. And because of that, Romans 6.23 says, The wage or the price of our sin is death and separation from God forever. But the second half of that verse says, But the gift of God is eternal life in the form of the Prince of Peace, Jesus. That's why Christmas is so important. For God so loved the world, we sang it, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He might give his life for you because he loved you so that you could be forgiven. Jesus is born of a virgin. He did not have the sin nature that we have so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So that he could be the innocent lamb of God who was slain for our sins on the cross. So that he could give his life, be raised again. So that even in our sin, even in our 
failings, we could follow him, the one who is in charge, and we could experience his peace and forgiveness. Again, it's not our peace, it's his peace. We can't earn our way to be right with God, but through his sinless sacrifice on the cross, on your behalf and my behalf, we can be forgiven. We can inherit an eternal life. We can be made sinless and forgiven through Jesus. We can experience his peace. In Ephesians 2, 13 through 14, uh, it, it reads, But now is Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Outside of him, we have no promises. But inside of him, we have peace that surpasses all understanding. We have the peace of the one who is in charge. His Lord is mighty and and who is a God of peace. The Bible says if you will surrender your life, you'll say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I know I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. I trust you and I want you to be the Lord of my life. The Bible says if you do that, you will experience his peace. You will be forgiven. So have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever trusted him with your life today and with your eternity? Have you ever experienced his peace? So as you sit here today, maybe your life is going smoothly and peacefully. That's great. Perhaps you're here and your life looks more like mine. It looks more like the night that Jesus was born. It's full of chaos. It's full of trial. It's full of relational conflict, financial questions, an ominous future. The good news is that it's often in those peaceless times that we find and experience the Prince of Peace. So if you don't yet know the Prince of Peace, would you consider that today? Would you surrender your life in today? Or, or perhaps today is that you just start the journey of asking questions and finding out who Jesus is. Finding out, is he really the Prince of Peace? Is forgiveness really available in him? Again, there's no magic words to follow Jesus. There's no magic prayers. There's no magic piece of paper to sign. To follow Jesus, you just have to say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you came to earth and lived a sinless life and died for my sins. Today, I want to repent. I want to turn from my life of sin, and I want to follow you. I want to make you Lord of my life, the boss of my life. And the Bible says you will be saved. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love that verse because there's no uncertainty. It doesn't say maybe you'll be saved, but it says you will be saved. So if you've never done that, if you've never trusted Jesus in your life, today, would you make him the Prince of Peace, the Lord of your life? Would you surrender and say, I want to follow you? Or maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you've been a follower for a long time. Today, would you turn to Philippians chapter 5? And would you start to use that as the handbook to experience his peace this Christmas season? Would you stop hoping for all your trials to go away? But instead, rejoice in God. Rejoice in who he is. And then through prayer, cast your anxieties on him. Paul says when you do that, you will experience his peace. You will experience his shalom, his presence in the midst of chaos. The Bible says God is able and he is greater than what you're facing. Would you trust it to him and experience his grace and his peace and his might this Christmas season? I'm going to pray for us. I ask you to pray with me. And then we will uh, close. 
So Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that on a peaceless night some 2,000 years ago, you sent the Savior. You sent Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. You sent Jesus to live the sinless life that I couldn't live, that we couldn't live. You sent him with the purpose of being the sacrifice, the, the replacement for our sins, the atonement for our sins. We thank you that Jesus, on that night before he was crucified, he was thinking of his disciples and he was thinking of us. He was thinking of the peace that he offered to us. That he willingly went to the cross on my behalf, on our behalf. God, I pray if there's anyone here that hasn't experienced your peace and your grace and your forgiveness, God, that you would work in their heart right now. That you would work in their heart today and this week and this Christmas season. That you would draw them to faith in you. So they might experience your peace, your shalom in this world, in the midst of this world that we know is far from peaceful. God, I don't know what's going on in everyone's life, but you do, and I, I'm certain there are many things that are far from peaceful. God, will we turn those over to you? Will we today, as we leave, will we rejoice in you? Rejoice in who you are. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in your character and your presence. And God, would you help us to cast our anxieties and our fears and our uncertainties and our trials on you? And God, we pray that you would help us to not only know your peace, but feel your peace in the midst of this chaotic world. That we would experience your shalom and your rest, your completeness, your wholeness, your tra tranquility. May we make you the star of shalom of our lives. May we experience your peace in this world. God, we love you so much. God, we thank you that peace is available in you. May we experience it this week. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week and for celebrating with the kids choir and uh, all that we got to partake in today. Um, I've got a few announcements uh, for you before we uh, head out. If you are new to Living Hope Church, somewhere there should be a uh, welcome card that looks like this. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the wood box on that back table, we would appreciate it. Uh, that's also you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Um, in terms of announcements, we had our Christmas party for Youth Group and Kids Night last Wednesday, and we had a great time. Uh, youth Group and Kids Night will return uh, January 11th, so uh, you can mark that on your calendars. Uh, Giving Tree, thank you for all of you that gave to the Giving Tree and, and were able to bless uh, families across our community. I think last I heard, there were 15 different families we were able to uh, bless through that. They're going to be picking those uh, gifts up this afternoon. So please be just praying for those families and uh, pray that they might experience uh, God's peace during this Christmas season. Uh, lastly, we have our Christmas Eve service that will be next Saturday. No, yeah, that's right, Saturday, which is Christmas Eve. Uh, please join us for that. It's at 6 o'clock here at the church. There are uh, invitations on that back table. If you have a friend uh, or family member or neighbor you'd like to invite, uh, we would love, you, uh, love for you to join us for that. That's always an all-family service. Kids will be up here. Uh, it won't be too long. We'll have activities for the kids. We'll have candlelights and even uh, flameless candles for your children, and so it will be a great time. So please plan to join us for that. That next day, Christmas is on a Sunday this year. 
We will not have a normal service that looks like this, but you, we, the church will be open if you'd like to come and join us. Uh, I think we're planning to have some guided reading for you or for your family to go through if you'd like to. Um, but we understand if you're opening presents and having Christmas breakfast, enjoy the day with your family as well. Um, so that's kind of what the next week looks like. If you have questions about any of that, you can come and see me. Uh, I'd be happy to answer those. Uh, otherwise, thank you for being here. We pray you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you on Christmas Eve. You are dismissed.